Hello and welcome to another exciting VJ session. Following on from the third European Car T-Cell meeting, which was organised by EHA and EBMT, we spoke with four leading nurses in haematological oncology who discussed key learnings from the nurses programme, as well as future directions in the Car T-Cell therapy space. Dear colleagues, um, it's my pleasure to introduce you to this uh, video journal of haematological and oncology. Um, we will discuss today a roundtable discussion with several colleagues um, about the post-EBMT EHA CAR T-cell meeting we had um, last week. So maybe, um, Rose, you can introduce yourself firstly. Hi everyone, my name's Rose Allard. I work at the Royal Marsden Hospital in London, UK. And at the Marsden, I'm a cellular therapy clinical nurse specialist and lecturer practitioner. Um, I also have a role with EBMT. I'm the nurse member of the cellular therapy um, and immunobiology working party. And Michelle, maybe can, you can also introduce yourself. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Michelle Kenyon. I work as a consultant nurse in transplant at King's College Hospital in London, UK. Uh, and I also have a role with EBMT as president-elect for the EBMT Nurses Group. And then we have John. Hello, uh, welcome everybody. My name is uh, John Murray. I'm a nurse clinician working at the Christie Hospital in Manchester in the UK. Um, my role is predominantly around outpatient care of post-allograft patients. Um, and my role within uh, EBMT is the current president uh, of the EBMT Nurses Group. And I'm very pleased to be handing this role and responsibility over to Michelle in a month's time. So my name is Erik Aerts. I'm a nurse manager working in the stem cell transplantation, hematology, and CAR T-cell setting at the University Hospital in Zurich in Switzerland. And I'm the president of the Hematology Nurses and Healthcare Professionals Group. Well, today we will discuss um, the excellent meeting we had about the CAR T-cell uh, therapies. So, um, Rose, what do you think? What were for you, what was one of the highlights for you? And what do you think? Where are we now and where are we going to with CAR T-cell therapies in the future? Um, one of my highlights was listening to Ruth Ting talking about um, the role of palliative care um, in patients receiving CAR-T therapy. Um, I've heard Ruth speak before. Um, she's an excellent speaker. And I thought highlighting um, the role of palliative care was, uh, is a really important part of the um, patient pathway and I really enjoyed um, hearing her talk as part of the um, panel discussion she was involved in. Um, as far as where we're going, um, I think we, well, we, we certainly have new products coming down the line in different disease areas. Um, we've got a couple um, on the horizon in lymphoma, um, including mantle cell lymphoma is the, um, the new kid on the block. And we'll potentially start maybe treating uh, myeloma patients in the not too distant future um, as well. Yeah, thank you. Well, we'll come back to, the, to this exciting topic, um, as you mentioned before, palliative care. Um, Michelle, what was one of your highlights in this meeting? 
I mean, I, I am inclined to agree with Rose. Uh, I, I listened to Ruth's talk, and again, I really enjoy hearing her speak. Uh, she's, she's great. And uh, so that was certainly one of my highlights. And I think really bringing out the importance of uh, making sure that palliative care support is plugged in for these patients right from the get-go, uh, really making that a normal part of their care rather than uh, something that happens uh, when we start to become concerned that things are not going well. Uh, palliative care support can be really important, not just in uh, end-of-life care, but also with symptom control. And actually, a lot of these patients come to us with quite a heavy symptom burden, uh, which is really helpful for uh, our palliative specialists to be helping us to support the patients with. So, so for me, that was a, that was a real key uh, session. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, the session that I chaired. Um, I was very privileged and very lucky to uh, uh, be sharing the final session of the day uh, where we had uh, Ruth Clout talking about the basic education uh, programme that she's organised in her trust. And I think really there's a, a model there that uh, many other organisations uh, could learn from. Um, she's uh, clearly been very successful in uh, delivering the education components and putting those together um, and that uh, training has been very well evaluated so uh, that was a highlight for me and that also for me then dovetailed really nicely with Rose's talk she presented a case study and it was a case study that unfortunately didn't have a favorable outcome but from which there was a lot of learning to be gained about uh, the benefits of uh, managing these complex cases uh, with lots of uh, the specialties involved and, and one of those was indeed palliative care. Um, and that then followed uh, was followed by Nicole's uh, session on survivorship um, and the considerations of survivorship after CAR-T. And so I think for me, Actually, I wouldn't nat naturally have thought that those sessions would have fit so nicely together, but they really did. The, the training followed by the case study that pulled together a lot of the education components and the learnings, uh, and then really nice to round off with survivorship. John, what were your highlights? So I think maybe in a slightly similar vein uh, to some of our uh, previous two with Michelle um, and Rose. I, I, I enjoyed the session that I chaired. Um, I think it's, it's quite fortunate that, that uh, maybe we all quite liked um, chairing the sessions that uh, we were part of. Um, I think I was quite lucky in that um, one of the speakers in my session was one of my consultants, uh, which probably helped somewhat. Um, I'm, as people know, I, I, I quite like um, some of the, the more techie stuff. Um, and talking about blood tests and parameters and, and numbers. I, I quite like those. So getting to the nitty-gritty of some of the tests that are done for people, either pre, during, or post the infusion of their car cells, 
And it's understanding why we're doing these tests. And I, I personally like to understand, well, I know I'm taking this sample. But why am I taking this sample? I like to have an understanding of that so I can explain that to my patient so they appreciate why they're having so many blood tests taken, where all of these bloods are going, and what we're looking for uh, in the results of these blood tests once, once we've taken these samples from them. So I find that a uh, quite interesting talk to listen to, to see that, that kind of nitty gritty, the day-to-day things that we're doing uh, with and for our patients. And I suppose that uh, one that dovetails then with that was the, the clinical presentation that Rose gave, um, which I think was wonderful in, in, its, in its delivery. It was somewhat unfortunate, to say the least, for the patient that she was describing. Um, that, that seemed to be an incredibly hard thing to listen to it was a it was a complicated patient who had a lot of issues um and and a somewhat very difficult time throughout their treatment um and i think that was very well presented and and it really gave you a flavor i think of of how quickly things change and that landscape that we're dealing in is a patient who comes along with the hope and expectations that this treatment is going to be completely curative um, but sometimes that doesn't happen um, and we get into a situation of, of palliation followed by, um, unfortunately, death. And I think that this was a, a really good presentation that, that kind of brought that home that, yes, we go for broke with these patients, but sometimes it doesn't work and having all those things in place. And I think it was it was it was just really very well described, I think. And I don't think there's anybody who's dealt with CAR T patients who hasn't had a similar situation to that. And we can all relate to how difficult and complicated these patients are to look after. But at the same time, equally rewarding, very much as our uh, transplant patients are in a similar vein. Um, so they're my two that, that, that really stood out for me, really, Eric. The first session, we talked about uh, establishing a multi-professional CAR T-cell communication board. So what do you think? Who should be involved into um, this multidisciplinary uh, CAR T-cell board and what should be the role from nurses? Well, being a nurse, I'm going to start with nurses. <laughs> um, and that, that may be nurses, not, not just from the CAR-T setting, but it, it may be nurses who are um, based in the lymphoma service or the, with the leukemia service or whatever other indications we have for CAR-T in the future. Um, because depending on where the patients had their primary treatments, it could be in the CAR-T centre or it could be elsewhere. Um, those nurses um, will be the, you know, will, will be the nurses that have, may have known the patient for many months or many years um, and will be in a, a very good position to advocate for those patients. Um, of course, the, the nurses involved in the delivery and coordination of CAR-T um, are important to be involved um, in that setting. And potentially, um, as we discussed, representation from um, palliative care. And perhaps representation from our intensive care team because um, patients may well need support from our colleagues in intensive care during their treatment. Um, of course, I can't pretend it's all about nurses. Um, our medics have a place at the table too. Um, and that, uh, that will be um, so colleagues in haematology and again, potentially palliative care, intensive care, um, 
cardiology, um, neurology, and I'm sure there's many others that I've forgotten that Michelle and John will jump in with now. Michelle, what do you think? What, what, what could be the role of nurses in this uh, communication board? I mean, I think as, as nurses, one of our primary uh, roles is as patient advocates. And I think uh, uh, no, no more so is this important uh, than in the, in the role that we have in CAR-T therapy. Uh, there's a real delicate uh, time period uh, whereby, um, you know, it, bravely we march on with this treatment in, in patients who uh, appear uh, to all intents and purposes to be, uh, to be uh, perhaps failing everything else. And I think it's quite, it's quite difficult to, uh, to do that unless uh, there is somebody there who's advocating on behalf of the patient. Um, but advocating on behalf of a patient who's fully informed uh, of the choices that that are available for them uh, and is equipped with the knowledge uh, to be able to make an informed decision about uh, their treatment going forward. So yeah, I think I think first and foremost the role of the nurse is, is as an advocate. Um, Eric, I'd be really interested to, you chaired that session, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts uh, and what was going through your mind during the talk. Yeah. So I, I, I like to talk and I think in the whole process, nurses should be a role because, well, we don't have a clear um, role in the decision-making process, but very often patients and their relatives are asking us questions after they talked with physicians. So I think we do have a very clear role um, together with doctors regarding decision-making processes, but also regarding the whole coordination uh, because we are uh, 24 hours uh, together with the patients involved. John, what do you think? Um, what could be the role of nurses and, well, who else should be involved in this communication board? And maybe you have a daily experience to those boards. Yeah, so I, I think that um, there, are, there are several different aspects, I suspect, um, to look at this. I think that Michelle's points are very valid that nurses, predominantly, we are the patient advocate. And I think that's, you know, without doubt what we should be there for. And similarly to your points, Eric, as information givers and suppliers um, and explainers, because I think there's an awful lot of jargon is banded about, you know, even the word CAR T, you know, what does that mean to a patient when they first hear that? And you have to explain um, what that means. So I think that we're, we're very much that linchpin within any organization, um, no matter how simple or how complicated that organization is, the nurse is often at the center of everything. And it's that person that is able to liaise on behalf of the patient and with the patient as well, advocating in, in both directions for them and explaining things to the medics that maybe the patient hasn't got across and the other way explaining to the patient something that the medic hasn't got across to the patient. So I think it is very much a two-way process and we're the conduit for that um, and very much being that, that central 
person, that central role and something that everything feeds through. And if you are in that position, I would hope that you're probably quite a senior nurse uh, to enable you to do that and has a lot of experience and a breadth of knowledge that you can bring to the table. So when there are team meetings with the neurologists, with the intensive care consultants, with the rest of your team, that your voice is heard because you are seen as an important and a vital member of that team who brings with them knowledge, experience, and the patient's um, thoughts and wishes along to that discussion. Um, so again, I, I, I can't you know, say it enough really. I think that very much the nursing role is right at the center of that and everything feeds out and through and off that in, in both directions. So uh, you know, that, that would be my stance on that really. And then Jessica Ritchie had a, a very, uh, gave us a very nice overview of immune cell therapies in solid tumors. Does um, somebody already have experience with that kind of ter therapies in solid tumors? It's not something I've got an awful lot of experience in at all. I don't know if uh, either Michelle Rose or yourself even, Eric, have you? No, only <laughs> I, I heard about it and only um, I heard about it uh, from um, trials they are doing in the lab with uh, mice, but I um, haven't heard about it that they have done it with patients. But um, I think in some uh, solid tumors, it could be uh, it could be have the future for some kinds of, of uh, mm. patients. Yeah. I think there is possibly more research trials in London, um, certainly at Michelle Centre, I would have thought, with, uh, with Ruben down there. Uh, I mean, we're a, we're a liquid tumour site, so it's all malignant haematology, uh, and I'm a, I'm a, a liquid haematologist. Uh, as a as a nurse, so I don't have experience of CAR in or immune effect cell in in solid tumors. Um, but I heard Jessica's uh, talk, and it was absolutely great overview of really opening up the possibilities of what this treatment can potentially offer to people who have currently uh, incurable solid tumor cancers. Um, there are trials that, that are at, certainly at different phases of development. Um, and uh, she was able to give a, a great uh, explanation as to where those are at and, and what's really next on the horizon in terms of uh, sol the solid tumor work. Uh, so certainly a great uh, session to tune into uh, and look at. Yeah, I really enjoyed it um, as well. Um, I have a, a, a small amount of recent experience with solid tumour patients because we have um, a trial of tumour infiltrating lymphocytes um, open at the Marsden and I have had some involvement with those patients um, and there are obvious parallels um, in that the patients have had a number of lines of prior therapy before they get to the point of the trial 
Um, there's a lot of coordination involved between the various um, departments. And having been a research nurse myself for many years, I realized that um, involving a trial into things adds an, adds an extra layer of complexity in an already very complex treatment pathway. Um, so it'll be interesting to see um, what develops um, in that setting. Uh, it's obviously further, further uh, back down the track than where we are with, with haematology. Yeah, I think the whole development of, of uh, those kinds of cell therapies um, are, are very important for the future for treating uh, our patients. And um, well, one, one step further is, well, what do you think? Where should we treat those patients? What are your experiences? And I'm thinking about oncology settings, hematological settings, but also about in or outpatient settings. What is your experience and what do you think for the future uh, does that mean? Definitely could be a hot potato. Um, I think that where, where we're at at the moment, um, if we're treating our, and thinking about our, our liquid hematology patients, um, and if we include within that the, the, the lymphomas and, and call them liquid, even though they're <laughs> potentially not, um, that I... I Personally, I think that it should be done within a JC accredited transplantation site. Um, I know there are other areas that, you know, and other centers that will give them on ordinary wards that may have hematology patients and may have other solid tumor kind of patients. But for me, the, the complexity um, of CAR-T therapy is akin to allogeneic um, stem cell transplant and the experience of a nurse who is fully trained as a transplantation nurse carries those same skills across into CAR-T therapy. Um, and if I was a patient, I would want to be somewhere where the staff have seen and are able to deal with the complexities that I may show them in the side effects, the, the complications, the problems. Um, I would want to be somewhere where I had confidence in the nurse and the team around that nurse that they knew what they were doing because they'd seen this before. Um, I'm sure that over time that as, you know, it goes into other disease groups that there won't be physical space to do this. So nursing staff, medical staff, and all of the ancillary uh, members of the team are going to have to step up in other areas. But certainly that's not going to happen in the next 12 months, 24 months, I would think. Um, I think before it becomes a, a commonplace um, treatment, and whilst it's still less common as it is at the moment, then in my opinion, keeping it on a haematology transplant, JC accredited, EBMT nurses um, is the place where I would want to be and where I want my patient to be. What do you think, Rose? That's certainly what we're doing. Yeah, we, we treat um, our solid tumor cellular therapy patients in the same ward that we treat our CAR-T patients. Um, the nurses there are um, skilled and knowledgeable in looking after cellular therapy patients. And that for us is where we feel um, is the most appropriate setting for these patients to be cared for. 
Um, but it, it, as John alluded to, we you know we don't have unlimited beds in hospitals, um, in haematology units with it, with nurses who are um, skilled in uh, looking after cellular therapy patients. So that will certainly be a question that that we we have to consider um, in the future. Um, yeah, hopefully we might be able to move towards some an outpatient or ambulatory type setting for some patients, but that of course won't be suitable for all. Um, so I think that will be an interesting development to see um, how that goes over the next sort of few years. Michelle, your opinion about the treatment setting? Yeah, I'm afraid you have a panel of supporters for uh, for transplant uh, <laughs> accredited centres. Um, but, I, but I, you know, I think one of the reasons for that, I mean, there are many reasons, but one of them, of course, is because of the, the toxicities associated with the administration of these uh, living drugs as they are, but they behave very much like cells. And, um, and I think until the toxicity profile is much more predictable uh, for many, many more patients, then this is going to be something that is very much uh, an inpatient uh, treatment, uh, certainly parts of it uh, for the majority rather than the few. Yeah. I also agree with all the three of you. I think uh, it's very clear, CAR T-cell therapy uh, should be done in a JC accredited center. And I would like to uh, say to prefer in an allogenic setting because there are so many um, uh, uh with, with an allogenic transplant. Another question is, what do you think? Uh, as we know, CAR T-cell therapy is a complex uh, intensive uh, therapy for patients. Um, how do you support your your teams, your multidisciplinary teams, when uh, taking care for CAR T cell patients, John? The, the team members, as in the the nursing staff and the other team, yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, as as I th was it Michelle? I think at the top of the shop when she was uh, saying um, which talk she liked. I, I'm very fortunate to work with uh, Ruth Clout as our practice educator. And she's pulled together a, a absolutely fantastic training program. Um, and she runs this a couple of times a year. And this is aimed across the board. So we have a variety of allied health professionals uh, attending the training days uh, that Ruth runs, which is, which is excellent. Um, she spends an awful lot of time um, when allowed, working one-to-one -one with patients on the ward, with uh, junior members of staff, you know, it's becoming more and more difficult to do that in this uh, current COVID situation um, with uh, staff shortages. Trying to double up is, uh, is quite difficult. Um, but it, what you're trying to do is educate as many of your junior members of staff and get them to be useful and fulfilled members of the team that they're able to, you know, pick up the pace pretty quickly when they land on the ward. Everything is shiny and new. Um, Ruth grabs hold of them and whips them into shape. Um, you know, she's got an absolutely fantastic way of teaching, training, educating people. So I think I'm, I'm somewhat blessed in, in that fact that, uh, that she's there and has got a fantastic way of, of bringing everybody up to speed. That is really great um, uh, development. And Michelle, what do you think? Um, 
uh, how do you support in your daily um, life um, CAR T-cell patients or does your team get any um, psychological support? Uh, yeah, so so I don't directly. I'm not there with the CAR T patients, but I uh, I work with a team of clinical nurse specialists, and I think that um, as CAR T uh, developments have gone forward, um, we're seeing more and more uh, CAR T CNS roles being developed. And I think uh, that this is a, this is fantastic and a great opportunity. But I think one of the things we really need to watch out for is that these are often single-handed roles. Uh, and so you might have a team of clinical nurse specialists who work with leukemia patients, or you might have a team of uh, clinical nurse specialists who work with transplant patients, but you might have just a single CAR-T CNS. And I think it's really important that that role evolves within the context of uh, a peer group, a team of, of CNSs uh, that you're able to uh, grow and develop with, even though you're, you're, you might be in a single hand role. So that would be one thing for me. Um, as clinical nurse specialists, we're extremely fortunate at the organization I work in. And I think many organizations are, are, have a similar offer in that we have, uh, we're offered regular supervision and it's timetabled supervision within the context of our job plans, uh, which happens on a monthly basis that we can use as a peer support uh, opportunity, a debrief opportunity, and those are facilitated um, uh, supervision sessions supervised, supervised by uh, a member of our psychotherapy psychology team. And the team of uh, psychology psychotherapists are mental health professionals who also work with our patients. So they know exactly the difficulties and the challenges that we experience at the bedside with the patients. Um, we also have opportunities through those same psychotherapy individuals to uh, approach them for one-to-one uh, -one conversations. Uh, and uh, that can also be helpful uh, in addition. Uh, they obviously also provide us with support for our patients, uh, which is an indirect way that we get support ourselves. So uh, we can have support uh, with challenging individuals. We can access support through them uh, for our patients who uh, are experiencing distress uh, and general uh, mood difficulties. So we're very blessed, actually, and uh, and that support for the clinical nurse specialist, support for the patients, uh, continues uh, when the patient's been discharged from the hospital as well. Thank you. And Rose, in your clinic, does the nursing staff get any support? Yeah, I mean, we offer um, much uh, similar to what John and uh, Michelle have described in terms of education and clinical supervision. Um, another thing I think is um, really important to make feel, people feel supported is effective communication. Um, that's, of course, challenging at the moment when we don't always see people face to face. Um, we don't see even our patients face to face and certainly not their relatives as much as we normally would. Um, but I think it's, it's effective communication that, communication that goes to the right people at the right time, but also communication styles. And um, 
being approachable and um, making people feel supported in their roles um, that way that they know who to go to if they're in difficulty. Um, so I think that's very important too. In the third uh, European CAR T-cell meeting, we had also a discussion where uh, a patient advocate was involved. Mm -hmm. We talked about uh, the ethics uh, surrounding CAR T-cell therapies. Um, yeah, wh what do you think um, about uh, palliative care? Um, do we need to involve them? Because there is so much hope for patients and then to involve uh, palliative, uh, palliative care specialists, why should we? Hmm. What do you think, John? I'll, I'll take the bullet first. Um, I, yeah, with, with, without doubt. Um, I think again, if, if we all go back to our own clinical practice and think of patients who've come through your department and the patients that come through for this therapy are often at the point of uh, referral into this pathway incredibly sick. They've been through an awful lot of therapy to get just to this point. And then once you start on this pathway, they're not going to suddenly get better in the next week. They're going to remain unwell for several more weeks while you're doing their workup investigations, you're harvesting them, you're waiting for the product to be made, you're waiting for it to come back, you're then uh, infusing into them um, their uh, chemotherapy and then waiting for the cells to go in and then waiting for them to come and, and grow. So there's, there's an awful lot of time between that, hello, we are about to start on this uh, treatment plan to the point of delivering it. And I think if you can't be honest with somebody at that point when you're first meeting them and saying to them, we might not get to the end of this because you are very unwell today when we're first starting to assess you, I think we need to have a long, hard look at ourselves and we need to be able to be honest with our patient and say, we're, we're planning this but we might not actually get to the point where we can give you these cells back. You might not make it to that point. And even if you do, you might be so unwell throughout this procedure that again, you might not survive. And I think Rose's case that she highlighted really showed that in, in really focus um, way that it was presented that, that things don't go A, B, C and people come in, they have their treatment, they go home. It's just not that easy. So I think that as a team, you've, you've got to be really quite clear from the outset. And I think it's, it's, it's really quite important. And again, it comes back to the nurse being at the center of this and being the advocate and saying, we need to have these conversations today, or if not today, maybe the second visit, um, but at least very early in that process and say, right, this is what we're going to do. However, these are the things that might happen. These are the things that might go wrong. You need to be thinking of putting your affairs in order. You need to be thinking about how this is going to affect you, your family, um, potential friends of, of, of yours. And it's, it's, it's the whole game. It's, it's not just about um, saying, oh, are they for palliative care or not? It's that conversation just leads into so many other things that I think that is absolutely vital for us to, to take that on board and begin those conversations really early on. So it doesn't come a shock. 
you know, you're a week in, your, your, your toxicity is through the roof and somebody comes and goes, I'm really sorry, but, you know, your husband, your wife, your daughter, your son, they're not going to make it till, till tomorrow. We're really sorry. There's nothing more we can do. And that comes as a total shock to somebody. And the poor old patient's not done anything about saying goodbye to anybody, arrange it. That, that is the worst possible scenario I can think of, that we have not adequately prepared our patient for all eventualities. We hope the eventuality is that they walk out and they're cured and they never see us again. That's what we all want, but that isn't what always happens. Uh, I think that's really important that we, we don't focus on it, but we have that as part of the discussion. Michelle, in your um, clinical day, is there already nowadays a palliative care specialist involved? Yeah, definitely. And and why wouldn't you if you have that resource at at hand for for any patient? Indeed, um, and but, but predominantly because of the high symptom burden initially that these people will often arrive at our hospital with. Um, so we we have. Uh, uh, we're blessed with a fantastic palliative care team and we are able to involve them with uh, symptom management uh, and not just at end of life. So symptom management during an acute treatment setting. Uh, and so our palliative care team will often be involved with our patients before we are having uh, end of life uh, conversations with them. Um, and that really enables us to be as appropriate. Uh, I want to say always appropriate, but of course, you know, maybe there are situations where we can do better and we strive to do better. Um, but it enables us to always be mindful of having the right conversations at the right time for the patient and for their caregivers as well. Um, because you know, our patients arrive with us and of course our patient is right at the center of of our focus um but at the center of their focus is their family and uh their network and so we need to be able to support them through this as well i think this is an excellent example and i can imagine that there are uh, differences uh, within europe because in our setting, it's very clear at this moment in time, palliative care specialists are not involved. Well, maybe they will be involved when end of life is an issue, but not from the beginning on. And I think that's a good um, topic to start uh, those discussions with uh, our specialists. And as I mentioned before, um, in one uh, of our discussion rounds, Lorna Warnick from the Lymphoma Coalition was involved. And we talked a little bit about, um, well, how our patients supported. Was in your setting how uh, our patients supported? How do you educate uh, the patients? I think as everything we do, uh, it needs to be a patient-centered approach. Um, I've met a wide range of patients in terms of their understanding of CAR-T therapy. Um, the patient I described in um, the case study was extremely well informed. 
Um, I mean, as an example, I remember him having his previous treatment in the day unit and I said to one of the nurses, what does that treatment target? And the voice from the other side of the room came, CD20. <laughs> so he was incredibly uh, well informed at the point he came to us. Um, other patients have never heard of CAR T therapy and we're starting right from the beginning and starting those building blocks of their knowledge um, about the, um, the treatment intent. Um, we've, and we've discussed that um, at some length and also the possibility of toxicities um, and also the time um, after their initial admission um, and in the weeks that follow, um, have they got a carer at home? Um, you know, are they within an hour of the hospital? There's, there's lots of things to consider, um, but it's very much a piecemeal um, approach. I mean, bearing in mind these patients will have just been informed that their previous line of therapy um, hasn't been effective. Um, they may have thought they may have been in some form of remission for some time um, and they may well be in a, going through a period of shock um, to, at, at learning that they do need more treatment. Um, so I would say that we support our patients on a very um, individualised and personalised um, approach depending on their circumstances and their understanding. And Michelle, in your centre, are nurses involved in the information process? Yes, absolutely. Um, so at the clinical nurse specialist level, so uh, our, our patients will meet uh, their key worker. Actually, they'll, they'll kind of meet their key worker before they even arrive at our centre because there has often been some crosstalk between the clinical nurse specialist at the referring centre and the clinical nurse specialist at our centre, the treating centre, at the time the patient is referred. So they will often have had a conversation about the patient before the patient has the first clinic appointment with us. Uh, and so uh, being able to say that I've, I've spoken to such and such and uh, or for the referring clinical nurse specialist to say they, they spoke to the CNS at our centre uh, can be a really helpful and reassuring introduction, particularly if patients are having this treatment far from home. So uh, the nurse is involved uh, right from that very beginning uh, of the patient's journey uh, with us. Uh, and then, of course, we have our, our nurses uh, on the ward who are supporting the patients at the bedside 24-7 uh, uh, during the time that they're in the hospital. Uh, and that clinical nurse specialist who meets the patient right at that first appointment uh, they are there throughout the patient journey. So right from the beginning, uh, right through to discharge and follow up. So yeah, key part of the experience for our patients. What I, I, I really enjoyed Lorna's session. And um, I think one of the things that she really highlighted and brought out was that it's often important and can be really helpful uh, to have uh, patient stories, to have uh, patients who've gone through this experience and uh, have had uh, a normal experience. So through, you know, with, with the pitfalls and with the toxicities that uh, we talk about um, and are able to talk to other patients or share those experiences um, either through a buddy system or through uh, some of the blogs or online sessions that are available. And those can often be really helpful vehicles for novice patients 
to be introduced to this as therapy. John, as far as you know, uh, do your CAR T-cell patients get any support from patient advocates, from patient support groups? Uh, not at my centre that I, I'm aware of. Um, and it certainly is a good idea. Um, and I, I'm sure that as time goes on, this is still a relatively new uh, therapy. So I'm sure that there will be more groups that appear that are supportive of each other. Um, there may well be ones that I'm, I'm unaware of and that the patients have set up, but um, there's nothing that we um, support here at the Trust um, so no, uh, there's, there's, there's nothing that we have. Well, in our clinic, we are working together with several patient um, support groups. And also when patients um, will get a CAR T-cell therapy, we try um, to link them with patients who had already a CAR T-cell therapy. And also with, uh, for example, with the lymphoma um, coalition one of the national um, supporting groups. Well, one last question to the, all, uh, all the three of you. What do you think, um, thinking about CAR T-cell therapies and other immune cell therapies, um, looking at uh, ahead in five years, where will we be? Rose, what do you think? The future of CAR T-cell therapies. Oh, I mean, if you look back five years from now, um, when, you know, there were just trials being set up, I mean, look, look how far we've come in five years' time. Um, I think it's, 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 uh, it'll be fascinating to see um, how the landscape changes in the next five years. Um, of course, we'll have more, um, more CAR-T products um, available for patients in a wider range of um, indications. <clears throat> um, we may well move towards um, an ambulatory or an outpatient um, way of treating some of our patients for certain indications where we learn what, you know, once we've learned more about the um, toxicity profile and if we can be comfortable that those patients are safe to be managed um, in, in that setting. And also from the um, view of healthcare professionals, um, hopefully there will be room for career development for um, healthcare professionals from a range of um, backgrounds. I mean, John is a nurse clinician in transplant. Michelle is a nurse consultant. Yeah, there's lots of um, advanced nurse practitioners um, in lots of different settings. So there may well be room for those sorts of roles, um, but hopefully primarily we'll see um, improved outcomes for our patients um, as, we, as we learn more. And Michelle, how do you see the future? Gosh, I mean, if I if I have a wish list, um, and I, I'm not sure how uh, realistic the wish list would be, but but I want I would want to see reduced uh, toxicity, um, and yeah, I, I know I'm not alone in that. Um, it would be great if we were in a position that these could be delivered safely in the outpatient and ambulatory setting, uh, and that. Uh, Patient selection was even better than it is at the moment, uh, so that uh, you know we can perhaps better predict um, who we can safely take through uh, the treatment uh, to have the best outcome possible. Mm 
John, in your clinic, how do you uh, see the future of CAR T-cell therapies? Yeah, similar to, to everybody else, I think. It would be, I think one of the things as well would be um, where in the, the, the pathway this would come. Is there any way of doing this earlier so that the patients are less sick by the time they're having this treatment? Um, and if we are then doing more treatments, um, would that then bring the cost down? Because I think that at some point, uh, most health economies wouldn't be able to cope with the, the current price structure if we were to suddenly increase by two, three, four, five hundred percent what we're currently doing. Um, so I think there has to be a bit of give and take on both sides there that if we're treating people earlier, are we treating them with uh, products that are less costly um, but are remaining cost effective um, at the same time? So that would be something that uh, I, I would hope would move forward in the next five years. Well, in our clinic, we see already a huge change. And that's why we already changed the name of our setting into stem cell transplantation and immune cell therapy in 2019. So, and also looking at the number of patients, we are uh, treating more and more patients with uh, different uh, hematological malignancies. And in May, we will start to treat patients with multiple myeloma with CAR T-cell therapies. And also hearing the great keynote talk from Carl June and listening at his talk uh, that he treated already in 2010, CLL patients. And well, uh, this means also hope for patients. So I think there's a a very big and good future for CAR T-cell therapies. But of course, the role of nurses, education, etc., is a thing we have to think about. Well, to summarize um, this discussion round, I think it's very important to involve um, into the multidisciplinary team a lot of stakeholders, uh, if possible, to involve early enough um, as palliative care specialist. The role of nurses is extremely important. As you mentioned before, John, we are in the center, we are in the middle of the whole treatment process. And I think we all had the opinion that CAR T-cell therapy um, should be given in a JC accredited center and maybe preferable in an allergenic center. And then education for patients and their families, but also um, to give them right, proper information is very important. And finally, to educate nurses, I think the involvement, the um, development of CAR T cell therapy for the future is very big. And there it's very important to educate nurses and other healthcare professionals. And finally, um, because it's still a high-risk therapy to support uh, nursing and multidisciplinary teams. So thank you very much. And bye-bye. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss the next one. Follow us on Twitter at, at VJHemonk and join in the conversation. And finally, check out vjhemonk.com for updates in the cellular therapy field.